It is so good to be with you this morning. I missed you deeply last week. Um, I'll get to that in a second, but I, I am just so glad that you're here with us this morning. And if you're a guest with us, whether that's online or with us in person, I just want to say welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm just so thankful that, that you're here. And my hope for you is the same as it is for every single person who, who watches with us, who sits with us, or who walks by in the hallway. And that's simply, no matter where you find yourself in your faith today, I hope that you're able to take one step towards Jesus. That's it, because that's what we're all about. Some steps are going to be big, some are small. As long as we're going towards him, that's all that really matters. Um, you know, last week I had the privilege of playing youth pastor again. Uh, I was a youth pastor for a long time, and any chance that I get to jump back into that job, I'm like, oh, I'll take it. And I'm trying to get Will to swap roles all the time. Like, dude, I'll take it, I'll take it. Um, there is something absolutely unbelievably amazing about teenagers. And I know you're like, what? As long as they're not your own. No, um, listen, there's something amazing about them. And, and we got to take, what was it, like 56, 57, 58, there it was. It just keeps growing. Uh, that's not pastor numbers either, that like exaggerated. Those are real numbers. Um, we took 58 students and leaders up with us to a retreat, and, and it was unbelievable to celebrate Jesus together with you know, a couple hundred other students. And I watched at Crossbridge, I watched some of the adults who are in this church absolutely, like radically love our teenagers. And it was unbelievable. Um, you know, Brett and Kate Anderson, they're up at Lake Champion again, loving teenagers from other churches as well because they help run these things. And they were great. Um, you know, Gage, I don't know, does Gage, he slept in. Yeah, rookie, still recovering from Lake Champion. I get it. Um, outstanding. Suzanne, just thanks for loving our girls. And Joe, where is Joe? Is he hiding behind a pillar? Oh, there, right in front of me. There it is. Um, Joe, thank you. Eric is, is homesick today, but he was killing it. Christy, you were sick and couldn't come. And it was such a bummer, but your influence over the last couple of, of years into our kids. Thanks. Just thank you so much for loving our students. And Will, thanks for letting me play youth pastor. I love it because... There's something funny about our teenagers. Can I tell you what's different about teenagers than it is adults? And there's a lot of things that are different. We all know that. But um, having the chance to once again connect with our teens, have a, you know, as they're responding to whatever God's doing in their life in, in whatever way, we don't get to kind of always know what that is, but we just get to sit with them and pray with them and say, this is great. And what I learned quickly is that with our teenagers, what amazes me most is their ability to do and actually do what the Bible says, right? Especially if they're new to following Jesus, they haven't gone to church yet, so they haven't learned what we as adults do and tell them that the Bible doesn't really mean what it says. There's another interpretation for that, so you don't have to do it. I oh, didn't like that really quick, did you? We do this, don't we? Right? We logic our way through the Bible, whereas what I love is our students are like, cool, we're reading through Mark. Well, Jesus says, do that, we'll do that. Like, wow, it's it's that easy, but it's that hard. And there was this really cool moment where I, I just love being able to, like I said, pray over our students when they ask for prayer and actually encouraging one of our students who found themselves in a place of frustration and they were carrying all these burdens. And it was like, listen, you, you kind of need to let that stuff go. You need to confess it, get it out of your life and just, you know, repent of it and apologize where you need to own your crap and then move on. 
Um, that, that says that somewhere in the Bible, I swear. Um, but right, that's what it is. You've got to own your stuff. And sure enough, the handful of students that I talked to said the same thing. Just own what's yours. You can't own what's theirs. Had texted and said, Pastor Jimmy, you're not going to believe this. I, I actually apologized. I didn't expect anything from them, but I, I just needed to tell them what I was feeling and that I'll take ownership of my stuff. And all I simply said was, amen, how do you feel? And over in a handful of these texts, it was lighter, freer, at peace. And I thought to myself, huh, it's really amazing when you actually do what Jesus says. When, when you actually follow what he lays out for us, there's something that's, it doesn't make sense, but it is absolutely the right way to go. And I believe that God has this same hope and this same desire for healing for all of us, that these, these burdens and these baggages that we carry, we should be free from this. But the problem is we've logicked away so much of what the Bible says and the question that we really need to wrestle with together today simply is will we actually, when we read scripture, will we actually do what it says? Will we actually do what it says or will we dismiss it because logically it just doesn't work? It just doesn't work and in doing so, we continue to live defeated, broken, frustrated lives. I write these things way in advance, these messages, and I, I'm telling you, when I came in this morning, this isn't what we expected. I'm just, it was not. We, were, we had a whole different plan, and, you know, Becky had so worked it out with Kingsway. It was supposed to be very different and easy and simple, and it didn't turn that way, and every bit of me wanted to freak out. Every bit of me actually wanted to yell at them and say, you don't get this. We're here all the time. This is our space. They like us. You're... But you know what was, Jesus says, love your enemies. And I thought, but these aren't even my enemies. This is just a group of kids and, and teens and families using the school to, 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 to exercise and compete. Oh, how much more love should be given here and grace should be extended here. And the battle in my own heart was, why should I do this? It doesn't make logical sense. We're here, we've got a system, and they ruin our system. How ignorant and prideful is that? And I loved being able to confess to the, the crew that we're doing setup. Here's what I'm feeling. This is what I want to do. But Jesus says, do something different. And they said, I affirm that Jesus says that. And I, I hear that. It's so much freer living that way, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah, because I'm not frustrated. Now I can go say, how can I help you move tables, not shove them into you? So I'm not just saying that we should, we should kind of like maybe think about what Jesus says. We have no choice if we have said we are dedicated followers of Jesus to do what he says and to do what is written in scripture because this is our, our baseline. This is everything to us. And so this morning, I need you to keep that in mind. As we look at the book of James and we continue in this series, and you know, as you turn to James chapter 5, it'll be... Be all the way at the end of your Bible, James chapter 5. We finished up chapter 4 last week, and as Pastor Will and I were planning this series out, sitting at Death of the Fox together, like he mentioned in that first week, when we started to break down the chapters, I shotgunned this passage in chapter 5, okay? And if you can call shotgun for a front seat, you can call shotgun for scripture passages, okay? Like, that's just how that works. Those are pastoral rules, right? I agree. Yeah, yeah. So... 
It, it was funny, but I, I shotgunned it for two reasons. The first one is simply this. Um, I, I very rarely ever hear this passage preached on, and I thought, oh, this will be fun. But uh, when it is preached on, and I've heard messages through this, I have usually felt pretty shamed. I felt a lot of unnecessary pressure, and uh, I've left very, very confused. And the second reason that I, I wanted this passage is because, to be completely candid with you, I dream about doing, being a church that actually does what the Bible says, and this is one of those passages that gets me pumped and terrified at the same exact time. I get so excited. If he says it, we'll do it. If he doesn't, then we don't. And so with that in mind, would you open up with me to the book of James? We're going to start actually in chapter 5. Verse, we're jumping to verse 13, and Will's going to go back and cover the beginning of chapter 5 next week with us. So in verse 13, this is what we're going to read. Would you stand with me as we read the word of God together? This is what James says to these persecuted churches he's writing to to close out his letter. In verse 13, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and to pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. It's the word of the Lord, amen? I, I know there's a lot in here and you could be seated. Um, and, and there's so much to unpack, but in these this three sets of verses here, James summed up how much of our life is spent, really in, in the beginning. And he's like, listen, are you suffering hardships? Are, are you happy or are you sick? Okay, cool. That covers about most our life, right? Are you sick? Are you happy? Are you troubled? And, and his answer to each of these situations for the church is exactly the same. His answer is exactly the same. What do you do in any of these situations? You pray. You pray. If you're having hardships, you pray. If you're really happy, you pray. And I know if you're going to get all like, wait a second, Jimmy, it says you praise and you, you, know, you sing. And it's like, I, what, what do you think? worship is when we do this together. <laughs> this is prayer to God. This is ascribing worth to him unless you're singing to the person next to you, which would be really awkward because they're not faithful when you're not, um, right? It's, it's hard to deal with this. And unless you're singing and it's hitting that you're like, oh, this is for the, the roof. This is good. Right? No, no, no. We are praying to God, but we're singing while we do it. One of my favorite ways to pray. And so it's like, this is great. We get this. But very few situ situations in life are going to fall out of this summary. And he's trying to drive home this idea like, listen, no matter where you are in your life, prayer is our starting point and our ending point. This is the life that we need to be living. And tradition tells us about James, the half-brother of Jesus, that he was so committed to prayer the, that church history says he actually prayed so much on his knees, his knees became very hard and calloused. I have no idea if that's true or not. But here's what I do know. That, 
story doesn't come about unless this was a man who was known for prayer, that he actually believed this was important and it should work itself out. So are, are you in trouble? Pray. Are you happy? Sing songs of praise, right? Pray. Are you sick? I love this. Don't just pray for yourself, but pray together. Ask the elders of the church to, to come and to anoint you with oil and pray over you. I could already see you shifting in your seat a little. You just got this little like, I thought you could just hang in those first two because this, this is where the passage gets a little different, doesn't it? This is where it gets pretty unique. You're fine with the first two, but now this healing stuff, I, I know the thoughts that already go into all of our, they just cycle, right? Okay, I, I hear what James is saying, but this was really for the first century church, right? This was for them because they had nowhere near the medical experience and knowledge that we have today. They didn't put people through, you know, the schooling to become doctors and nurses and techs. They didn't have any of this stuff. So yeah, they had to rely on miracles, but now we, we don't have to. It's different now, right? Or maybe we think that, you know, since we're civilized here, maybe this still is true since it says in the Bible, but it's in third world countries. And, and that's where healing is needed over there because they don't have access, right? No. No, I, I don't think so. I don't think that's true. Divine healing is one of those areas that, to be honest, we try to logic away. It's, it's for another place and another time. It's not for us. But James doesn't tell us that, right? And nowhere do we see Jesus say this, that they say, when your tech and when your medicine get to a place, you no longer need to obey James chapter 5. You no longer need to take this scripture that's Holy Spirit inspired, that, that this was written to a church that needed it then, but now that the church is so mature, I mean, look at us 2,000 years later, how much more mature. You won't need that then. You, guess what? You're not going to find that anywhere in the Bible. You can read it from cover to cover, and nowhere is it going to tell you that this doesn't apply or stops. This is for today. And so James is writing to these churches who likely knew his brother Jesus. Right? It's the earliest written letter we have to these churches. They knew who he was. They knew what he, his ministry looked like. And right now, um, you know, we've picked up I, I, these soap guides. When Jeremy said, I ask tough questions, I do not. They're just introspective, right? Some of them are fill in the blank, but some are introspective. That's not tough um, for me. Uh, <laughs> As we've been soaping, we just started the biography of Jesus written by Mark. And in the first two chapters alone, We've seen the ministry of Jesus unfold. We've seen things happen. And he heals a ton in just what we've already read. Just what we've already read. There's a lot of these stories, and they're not about him flexing. They're not about him showing off and trying to like build his own kingdom. They're really simply about him living out what he said he was going to do, what he came for. And, and he tells us that right in the very beginning of Mark, and Mark records this about Jesus in Mark chapter 1, and you can turn there with me. We're going to be there for a majority of our time right now, and in the, uh, the good news about Jesus from Mark, Mark chapter 1, it says this, starting in verse 14. It says, later on, after John was arrested, and John is his cousin. It's John the Baptist here. Jesus went to Galilee where he preached God's good news. Now, this is what God's good news is. You ready? 
The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Repent of your sins and believe the good news is the action. And what is the good news? The good news is the time has come because the kingdom of God is near. This is the good news. The kingdom that's been promised to us in Isaiah chapter 11 that God is designing is here. And it's now and it's coming. And from this point on, everything that Jesus does throughout his biography written by Mark, throughout the gospel of Mark, has everything to do with showing and announcing this is what the kingdom looks like. This is what heaven on earth looks like right here. Let me just show you what it looks like in case you were curious. This is what it is. So if he's doing something, it's to show the kingdom of God is near. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. If you jump down to verse 30, we see that Jesus is hanging out with Simon Peter, one of his disciples. He's hanging out at their house and we read this, that now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about it right away. So he went to her bedside, he took her by the hand and he helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. I know, it was just a fever, right? It's just a fever. You don't really have to pray for fevers, right? Maybe just Jesus helped her up at the right time, and it happened to break just before, and then he was just there to say, hey, I'll help you up. Listen, I don't think so. (laughs) Again, can't logic these things, right? Sometimes we think too hard about it and try to say, this is why it didn't happen. It just says she has a high fever. It's not like she had a high fever and was not feeling the best, and, but she was on the recovery in Jesus. No, she had a high fever. Jesus was told, and he's like, sweet, let's go. Let's go I'll go upstairs. After she's healed, the reason I believe there's a high fever that she's genuinely sick is simply because right after she makes that meal, the entire town bum rushes this house. They bum rush the house because they're sick. And they want to be healed. Which kind of tells me people knew how sick she was. Right after this, Jesus leaves and he, he's on his way to another city. And on his way to another city, he's approached by a man with leprosy. Leprosy, you know, it's a skin disease that actually begins to show up on the outside of your skin, but then attacks the nerves underneath your skin and, and you can't feel things. It's really, so you have all these sores and all these burns. And according to Jewish tradition and laws, those people couldn't be in the city. So of course, Jesus runs into him outside the city. And this is what we read. In verse 40, okay, Mark chapter 1, verse 40, just 10 verses down, it says, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with, and what's this word here? Moved with, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. Just stop for a second. If no one's allowed to be around this guy, when's the last time someone touched him? Oh, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing. He said, be healed. And how, when did it happen? Instantly. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Listen, even though early, this is early on in Jesus' time with people, word gets out that he can heal the sick from fevers to terminal illnesses to things that cannot be explained. And in chapter 2, which we read yesterday, Jesus is like, all right, I'm going to go back to Capernaum, which is kind of like home base for him. He's going back home. And and as he goes back there, everyone hears that he's back after he's arrived. And it gets packed. 
people are traveling, traveling from all over. And Jesus is teaching in some dude's house. As he's teaching in the house, everyone begins to pack in because they want to hear. And so now the house is so full, you can't get in. It's like walking through the hallways for a cheerleader conference, you know, convention. You're like, whoa, what am I supposed to do? I can't even find a spot. I got to park out there. Well, the equivalent of that in this story is there's four guys who have a friend who cannot walk and is on a mat. And they're like, we can't get in the north or south entrance to get to church right now. So, so we got to figure out something else to do. And the way that houses are designed in uh, Capernaum, and you can go see this still, is that they all have flat roofs because they would... It was like an extra room, which you use your patio for. That was the roof. And they would hold like parties up there and all that because real thick floors or roofs, but they would become floors when you're up there. And so these four guys um, go up this narrow set of steps because they'd probably be about 18 inches wide to get up there. And they maneuver this guy to the top. But Jesus is underneath them. And so they do what any logical person would do. They start digging a hole in the roof. I guess it would be the floor to them. And so as they start to dig through, could, could you imagine being the homeowner of that place? Like you're sitting there, you're like, Jesus is here, this is awesome. And then a hand comes through your roof. You're like, oh, Jesus, you know. It's like, yeah, I'm here. Um, like, what, what does this moment look like? They don't have insurance. Who's covering this? They continue to dig to make a hole big enough to lower their friend down through the roof. So now everyone in this room, you have to imagine, is covered in roof. They're covered in dirt and brick and, and tile that they might have had to move. They probably shifted out of the way not to get dirty, enough space for someone to be let down, and somehow they worked together to let this man down and right in front of Jesus. And this is what Jesus says in Mark chapter two, verse five. He looks up at them wide-eyed with anticipation and seeing their faith, it says in verse five, Jesus said to the, the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Wait, what? <laughs> TV timeout, right? I brought my friend to Jesus so he could walk. That's why we came. So why in the world would Jesus say this in this moment? You see, when the Bible talks about miraculous healing, I think sometimes we make the mistake of applying it just to the physical things. And when you may not have seen those physical things, then therefore this whole thing is garbage. When the truth is in this moment, this man had multiple needs for healing and Jesus picked the most destructive one that needed the greatest attention in that moment. The one that would separate him from God forever, the one that he could bring the most hope to. And in that moment, his legs were not the biggest issue. His spiritual needs were the greater issue. And Jesus brings healing to this man in a way that he didn't even know he needed. The teachers of the law in the room, they're fantastic. Um, they're just, I'm just like these guys, right? Just like these guys. And, and as I think sometimes we want to throw shade their way and be like, I can't believe they do this. I'm telling you, I do this and you do too, whether you want to admit it or not. But they internally question the validity of what Jesus just said there. Like, who in the world are you to say your sins are forgiven? You can't do that. We got a whole system for this. You can't just wipe it off if you just like, oh, your sins, like, what? you can't do that. 
but they never say it out loud because we're way more civilized than that today, right? You'll critique when you leave here today. I understand that. And I think it's sin if it's not balanced with scripture. That's all. But you're not going to say it to me for the most part. But here, they're not going to say it to Jesus. They don't. They have it in their heart. And I love this in verse 8. It says that Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? How cool is this? Like, he is getting in their face. And he's like, which is really easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? I'll I'll give you the answer. It's really much easier to say your sins are forgiven. Because there's no proof for this. (laughs) Right? You could be like Oprah saying, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, and no one knows because there's nothing that you wouldn't know. But now, if I were to say, you came in not walking, well, you were lowered down not walking, and now, take up your mat and walk. If that doesn't happen, there's a problem, isn't there? So which is easier? Of course it's easier to say that. So in verse 10, Jesus continues saying, so I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. This is the good news of the kingdom. Jesus does it now. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man, oh, I love this word. The man jumped up. I don't know how long he didn't walk, but he didn't just get healing where he could walk. He got muscles. And he jumped up. He grabs his mat and he walks out through these stunned onlookers. Yep. (laughs) Take your way. Whatever you need, man. And here we find that Jesus met needs in two ways for him, spiritually and physically, that he had. Jesus never stopped healing. And you're going to read throughout his story in Mark as we lead into Easter. Everything that you read, he does. Nowhere does it say it stops. And in John 14, he says, I'm giving you the same spirit that's in me so that you guys can love each other and see these things happen. You're going to do greater things than I did. I know that makes some of you uncomfortable right now. I see it, and I see the faces going. I don't have answers to your questions about this because I know that you have them because I have them. But I can only stand up and read and teach on what's written. And I know that Jesus has commissioned us and sent us to pray for the sick. It's what James tells us to do. If you're troubled, pray. If you're happy, pray. If you're sick, pray, and the Lord will make you well. And I know in this context that it's mentioning elders, and well, you know, it is important there that there's, there's a sense of spiritual authority, but that's also, there's some theologians who are like, man, these are to people who are shut in their house or scared, and it's okay to call them over. But this was also written to these church communities where they were gathering together in their small groups. And I believe 100% today that we have a God who can heal that he can heal physically, that he can heal mentally, that he can heal emotionally, that he can heal spiritually? And are there questions about what it means with, you know, um, individuals with special needs and mental illnesses and, and these things that are like, well, God can't do that with, if, if a leg is missing, I don't know. No, no, I, I think God can heal all things and everything. I, I, truly, I truly believe it. I do. I've seen God heal people from fevers. And I've seen God heal as we've prayed over people for cancer. I've seen people 
as we've prayed over them who could not walk well and they walked in on a cane, walk out without it. I've seen these things. I've also prayed over people in all of that spectrum and seen nothing. And healing didn't come. And in that moment, God chose not to show up the way he did there. And I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I used to get so discouraged by that. I used to get so frustrated thinking, uh, maybe, maybe I did something wrong here. Maybe I prayed the wrong prayer. I mean, maybe there's something specific I didn't ask for that I should have asked for. Maybe, maybe I didn't have enough faith. Some of you have heard when you have asked for prayer that you didn't have enough faith. I'm sorry, when this man's let down, Jesus doesn't look at his faith, does he? He looks at his friend's faith because we need to fight for each other, for each other's healing because Jesus sees that too. And if we start to see and expect that God's gonna move, the moment we make this about us doing the right thing or the wrong thing, we've missed it completely because God can choose to do what he wants to do and so much of it is built out of the one way that Jesus saw this man with leprosy and it says he had compassion on him and we have a God who has compassion. He is not out to get you. He is not out to destroy you. He is not waiting to throw your pain, your suffering into your face and saying, I gave this to you so your life would be hard. No, 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 no. We live in a broken world where things just aren't right and we all know that. And so when we have troubles, we pray. When we're happy, we praise. And when we're sick, we pray. I have prayed for many people and seen miracles and I have, been, and I have seen disappointment in people's faces, including my own. I have had people pray over me for uh, you know, a skin disease of eczema that, that has not been healed. And I had to really processed. I've not been prayed over that for a while because I was like, that's ah, just God's thing. It's what he wants me to deal with. I'm like, is it? Or is this just me resigning to him? Not like, oh, I'm worried that I might disappoint him. I'm worried I might do something wrong. Or if someone prays over me, I'll disappoint them. Oh, I don't want to disappoint them. What if, what if I'm not? Guess what? It has nothing to do with you. And it has nothing to do with them. They didn't mess up. You didn't mess up. I don't have answers for all of these questions, but here's what I've come to understand through this season is that God is more loving, compassionate, caring, and sovereign than I am. That his ways are higher than my ways, and, and I don't have to always understand why he does what he does or why he allows what he allows. And he knows when I question those things because I let him know. This isn't fair and I'm frustrated. I don't get you, and what I love is my God is great enough to take that and say, I know, but I still love you. He doesn't call you to heal people, or he doesn't call me to heal people. He doesn't call our elders to heal people. He calls us to ask for prayer. And I believe that the Holy Spirit, if you have chosen to follow Jesus, has given you and I different gifts, all different gifts that we need to make up the church so that we can love our community and love each other well for the building of each other. That means we should be praying for and with each other based on this. He calls us to pray for the sick to be healed. And when we allow our life to be one that's defined by prayer, I think that we begin to step into the ability 
the expectancy to pray for these things without an agenda of how it has to work. <laughs> it's okay if you pray for people and they're not healed. Do you know why? Because you're just doing what Jesus asked you to do. At the end of this little passage in James, he says very clearly, he's like, listen, confess your sins to one another. Confess your sins to one another. And in doing so, they'll be healing. And I, I truly believe as we look at this, God often frees us from our pain because it's sitting in us with unconfessed sin. That it's this baggage that we carry of shame and guilt that, that sits on us and it's not until we truly confess it out loud to someone else. And I know that the evangelical church throws shade on the Catholic church all the time. And it's like, stop doing that garbage because confession is one of the things that they have nailed so well and we have like shied away from it. Your personal relationship with Jesus has nothing to do, like, no. We're supposed to confess it to each other so that we can hear the words of Jesus that you are forgiven. Sometimes that's the freedom and the healing that we need to know that. But it won't happen if we don't confess it. Can God heal you if you don't confess your sin? Of course he can. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. But I will tell you as someone who has clearly in the last couple of months tried to step into confession as my way of life, I'm not asking for healing in as many things as I used to because I'm not carrying the same weight or guilt that I used to. I don't know how that works. I just know it works. I just know it. I'm just trying to do what it says. So today, I want to tell you that I want to be the church that follows and does what the Bible tells us to do. I just do. I want to be the place where those who are sick would fight through any competition to be with people who love Jesus because in that place, they pray. They praise. And they listen when I confess my sin and don't throw it at me. They love me and say, cool. We can walk with that. Let's go to Jesus together. And when I'm sick and depressed and anxious and sore and overwhelming, they, they pray with me. They anoint me and pray with me. This is Crossbridge. And so the choice that we have today is, will we logic away scripture and say, not for today, for then, Will we not respond to maybe the prompting of the Holy Spirit that I could see some of you wrestling right now going, please don't ask me to come up and get prayer. I'm going to. I'm absolutely going to. There's no responsibility on you to worry if you're disappointing someone. No, nothing like this because this isn't manipulation. It's not trying to make something happen. It's just simply saying, I beg that you would listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in your heart if, if you've chosen to follow Jesus. If you have not, and you're like, well, what do I do? I, I believe that God could bring healing to your life, but it starts like this paralyzed man by repenting of sin and saying, Jesus, I'll trust you. I have no idea what that means, but I want to jump and run because I'm tired. A excellent. When, when we begin to pray, you could feel free to come up. And so that's how we're going to close our service today. And 
If you're online and you're watching with us, we want to specifically be able to pray for you too. And there's going to be a link in the comments simply that, that I know you can't be here. And so there's going to be an opportunity where you could just fill that out. And we will get in contact with you this week to just, if you want prayer, we'll pray for you. And we'll, we'll figure out a way to make that happen. But if you're here today, I want to close the service simply um, by asking, just because it says it here, our elders to come forward, and Brett is still up at Lake Champion, so he's not going to be here today. But I'm going to ask uh, if Will, Chris, Bill, if you guys would just kind of come over by this speaker, and then Jeremy, you and I will hang out over there. And today, if you'd like prayer, because James 5 says, come to the elder or call the elders, you don't even have to call us. We're here. We want to pray for you. If you're feeling uncomfortable and you're like, I, I, I feel like I would rather do this in my small group, well, then freak your small group out and ask them to anoint you and pray over you. Just do it. And when they don't know what to do, watch Jesus show up in a way you didn't expect, and amen, here's the church. Let's celebrate that together. I will tell you as we close that you will not disappoint any man that's up here thinking, ah, uh, what if nothing happens? Sweet, we celebrate Jesus. What if something happens? Then we sing and celebrate Jesus. We just want to do what it says. We want to follow scripture. This is our church. And so we're going to play just some music behind. You can sit in prayer. And if there's something physically, emotionally, spiritually, uh, mentally that you would like to be prayed over, we will pray for you. And at this point, I want to just pray a blessing over you to dismiss you. That you can grab your kids, head out. There's no shame in like, I'm leaving. And are they going to think different of me? No. Not at all. Because Jesus loves you as you came and as you leave. May his presence go with you. May you find the hope and healing that the Holy Spirit can bring to the pain and the suffering that you don't even know is there. And would confession or repentance bring forgiveness and joy? Would your legs be strengthened to celebrate from pain to celebration as you walk in your life? And may he give you the hope and the courage to pray for the sick as you go this week. Not just here, not just in your small group, but in your home and even in boldness at work, in your school. May he give you the courage to step out in faith in Jesus' name. Amen.